we're going to talk about confidence. Confidence. We moved out to Ortonville this summer, and we moved out to Ortonville. One of the reasons is we liked it because nothing happens in Ortonville. Downtown is where we live, and if you follow the news, I'm going to use it as an illustration because the people are going to be okay. But there was a shooting in downtown. And uh, what took place, well, being that I am me, unknowing what was happening with all these Oakland County sheriffs going by our house, I just went for a walk. I had a phone call to make. I'm talking to somebody and not knowing this, finding out later that I walked right into the crime scene, basically, and down the road and didn't know what was taking place. And uh, then I started walking back, saw all these sheriffs, and I, no big deal. I'm not doing anything wrong. I, I thought maybe it was a fire or something going on. And I'm on the phone standing on the sidewalk in front of our house, and all of a sudden these two Oakland County sheriffs pull up on me, and they block off the street, and one of them rolled his window down and said, Sir, what's your name? And I'm standing there kind of like this on my phone, and I go, hold on a second. And I went, why do you want to know? Wrong answer. The other guy, who was much bigger, got out of his car and said, Sir, take your hand out of your pocket. We're looking for a murderer, and you match the description. I am not exaggerating. I'm not preaching. I'm telling the truth. This is what I did. I took my hand out. I went, My name is Steve. I live there, and I'm a Southern Baptist preacher. <laughs> and they went on to tell me about the that took place. Thankfully, the people didn't die. That was just a half a mile behind our house, basically. And then that individual was caught about a mile directly, less than a mile, probably from our house. And we live behind us is about 75 acres of woods. And the police were going right at that time. Nate came out and said, Dad, there's police walking through our backyard and everything. And I was trying to get Sandra to let me and Nate. I have a gun and I have a dog. I'm like, let's go. You know, I was like ready to go, but she wouldn't let me. She was something about being a widow and raising these kids alone. I don't know. But you're not getting out that easy. I don't know what it was. But but all night there were helicopters going over and in the morning helicopters going over right over our house and me and Nate were standing out there. We thought it was great. We were like, the excitement's amazing. My daughter was not very excited about it at all and my wife was sure I was going to get myself shot. But how quickly, confidence. It was the first time we locked our doors, wasn't it, Nate? Went through the house and we're like, man, maybe we need to find out. We actually found out that there are locks on our doors. How quickly can your confidence change in your situation? Today, if you're taking notes, our thought about this, about the battle, is this. My confidence is secure in the God of victory. Hebrews 6.9 says this, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that are accompanying salvation, though we speak in this manner. Think about the places we put our confidence in. The things that we have, we have placed our confidence in things like the United States federal government. There's a whole group of people in this church today who are confident next month they're getting a check from the United States federal government. We place our confidence in things like paper money. Do you realize that paper money you have, it's not backed up by gold anymore. It's nothing more than a piece of paper. It's only worth things because we place confidence in it. Paper is worthless. And yet we'll take that piece of paper and some of us over the next few days and the next few weeks will buy things for other people. How about people we don't even know? Some of you aren't old enough, but if you're old as me and older, you'll remember the Zilwaukee Bridge. 
And I will remember seeing Bill Bonds on Channel 7 there and that bridge going back and forth and everything. We place our confidence in people we have no idea and have never met. And every time I have to go up 75 and go over that bridge, I just kind of, oh, Lord, come on. Because I can still see that bridge going back and forth and back and forth. We place our confidence in government. We place it in paper. We place it in people we have never known. If you can trust God for salvation... You can trust him for anything. There's an interesting dynamic taking place here as we go through this book, verse by verse, word by word. David is getting closer to the Lord. And the closer David is getting to the Lord, the more his confidence is growing. But King Saul, King Saul's the opposite. And if you notice, I did not say the further Saul got from the Lord, his confidence went down. No, the more Saul got concerned about himself, You see, the things that will take you away from God, take you from God's presence, it's not that you're just going to go, today I'm going to be a pagan. You don't get up and announce, today we shall live the life of, of an infidel. We don't do stuff like that. What we do, though, instead of being concerned about God, instead of being concerned about God's will, instead of being concerned about serving God, we just get more concerned about our favorite person, me. Come on, I'm my favorite person. I'm always on my mind. I'm always wondering what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to do. I'm always concerned if I'm comfortable. It is not that you are, listen, young people, it is not that you are going to turn your back on God and go, today I will become a drug addict. Today I shall become an atheist. It is not, no. What happens? You just get concerned about yourself. As Saul has become more and more concerned about the number one person in his life himself, His confidence has gone down. So check this out. Let's start off again. 1 Samuel 17, verse 10. Let's pick it up. We'll see the condition of the Israelite army. And the Philistine, this is Goliath, or Jim Merrill, if you were here last week. If you're not laughing, you weren't here last week. You missed it. But anyway, the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. That word defy, in the original language, if you like to put notes in your Bible, that word defy means jeopardize. It is the Hebrew word for jeopardize. Can I say this? Satan is a roaming, roaming lion seeking whom he may devour. Sir, Satan wants to destroy your marriage today. He wants to do everything he can to break up you and your wife and destroy your family. Amen? Young people, Satan is out to get you. Oh, pastor, that just sounds like something, a fairy tale somebody would came up with. Well, Jesus thought it was real. Jesus thought it was important. He wants to get you. And listen, he doesn't necessarily want to get you to be a drug addict or an alcoholic or anything else. If he can just get you to be a nothing for God, he's won. Satan's out to get you. And you should look, well, that makes me scared. Like we were in uh, Africa and did that safari and stuff, and the, Af- the elephant, that elephant was coming at us, wasn't it? It was pretty cool. I was like, go, and Laura had knew enough, and she was like, no. <laughs> I'm like, it's just like a ride at Disney, and this ain't Disney, right, and stuff. And But we saw right on the side of the road this dead water buffalo thing, whatever. And at night, the lion had come out and had killed it, and a bunch of them had eaten it, and it was just a bit of the carcass left and everything. You could stay here today, and as I explain that Satan's out to get you, as I explain he's out to get your marriage, out to get your kids, you may pull back and go, oh, my Lord, Are you sure about this? This sounds horrible. But you need to understand something. Jesus is the greatest lion tamer ever. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, yeah, 
There is a lion out there trying to get you, and I need to warn you about that repeatedly. But you need to know this. If you know Jesus, you've got the greatest lion tamer on the planet. Amen? The closer I get to him, the more my confidence goes. No matter what happens, no matter what the president tweets, no matter what Congress does, no matter what that crazy rocket man in North Korea does, no matter what the economy goes up, no matter if it goes down, no matter what the doctor's prognosis is going to be tomorrow, if you know Jesus, you can be confident today. Back to verse 10. Give me a man that we may fight together. This is Goliath, nine foot two of him, as we saw last week. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Again, the confidence is very low. The condition of their armies, that word dismayed, I'm using my favorite translation, the authorized version. But that word dismayed there in the original language literally means knees knocking together. Now, some of you think, well, man, that's not much of an army. Well, you've never faced a nine foot two guy with nothing but a sword. Now, if I had to face a nine foot two and I had an M16 or an AR-15 or a bazooka, or my wife on Black Friday. But, you know, if I had that. Oh, that was good. Anyway, but if I had that type of weapon, yeah, I'd be a little more confident, too. But literally it says this. Their knees are knocking together. Can I give you an example of fear? Let's just pretend for a second. Let's do this. I'm going to call on somebody at random, and you're going to come up and give your testimony about how Christ saved you. So we're going to start here, and I'm going to have... Some of you are afraid, right? You're like, oh, don't call on me. You're thinking of faking a heart attack, right? Stroke. Do you know that the number one fear most people have? Bob, this, this always makes me laugh. I can't believe this. Number one fear people have is public speaking. Number one, Bob, this, what I'm doing, what you do. Number one fear, public speaking. You know what the number two is? Death. Death is number two. So at a funeral, more people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. Now, see, some of you, when I said that, some of you were like, yeah, I got something to say. I want to come up there. That's, we're never going to let you get up and speak. You're too anxious. But anyways, you have that, and that fear comes over you. This is what's taking place in this army right now. But yet, I love the Lone Ranger. Verse 12, you can almost play the Lone Ranger's theme song. Everything seems like it's going bad. All right, for those of you in my generation, the A-team, right? Da, 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 right? This is when they come over the mountain. Then enters David. Look at verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephraimite of Benjamin Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. Hold on to that thought. Eight sons. Remember that. And the men... Man went among them from an old man in the days of Saul. That's also important. And the three eldest sons of Jesse's went and bound Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to fight in the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and then the third, Shammah. Stop for a second here. How many sons, work with me, this is your chance to say something in church. You've been dying to. How many sons does Jesse have? All right, now, David is the eighth, so there's seven older ones than David. David might be too young to fight in the battle. Okay, but there's eight of them. There's seven older. How many are in the battle? Three. Some of you, very good. Now, those of us, you know, who went to Christian school, we can add that, right? Can we? There's still some left over, right? Why is there only three? 
Why does Jesse hold back and only send three? In fact, he sends the three oldest, and he doesn't send all of his sons. Can I make a suggestion that the reason is in verse 12? Why? That the men went among from an old man in the days of Saul. You want to know why Jesse doesn't send all of his boys to fight? Maybe David's too young. All right, why he doesn't send all of them who are old enough to fight? Because Saul is in charge. And Jesse has no confidence in Saul. Gentlemen, I want to talk to you men for a second. If you're taking notes, oops, let me back up. A leader must first make those that are following him believe he knows the way. I know it's a little jumbled sentence there. A leader must first make those that are following him believe he knows the way. Sir, if I could fix one thing in America, it would be you. Gentlemen, you are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of your home. Now, you understand something. That takes on a different connotation in every home. Some dads are a little more vocal. Some dads are a little different. My dad was kind of a quiet leader, didn't do a big thing. We didn't have big family devotions and come through and different. There was none of this type of things. My dad led the way God designed him to. He made sure his kids were in church. In fact, he didn't make sure his kids were in church. He brought his kids to church. He made sure that this was a very important part of our lives, and he lived a life in front of them. Sir, you are the spiritual leader of your home. When anything had took place in my, with my car or vehicle that I had, I could always know I could call my dad, and my dad would fix it. Now, my kids don't do that. They don't. They ask me for money to fix their own cars, but they pay someone else because they know I'm not like my dad in that regard. But I knew, I knew my dad knew what he was doing. I knew he wasn't perfect, but I knew what he was doing. Sir, you know your home would change. Your home would change if you took on that leadership of the spiritual leader of your family. I'm not saying be a bully. I'm not saying you know, kick in the door as you go home today and say, things are going to change. <laughs> I'm not saying anything like that, man. Make sure you're here. Make sure when you leave that you live what you say you're living. Make sure you lead your kids. I'm glad you pray at Thanksgiving. But maybe you should make that a little more common thing in your house than just Thanksgiving. Sir, if I could change anything, I would change the men of this country. Because if I changed you, this whole world would be completely different. You feel free to disagree with me, okay? But I have yet to find a good woman who does not crave, who does not want, who will not encourage the man, the, her husband, to be the spiritual leader in her home. I've seen the other side, women wishing, 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 wishing. God, please, why don't you take that today? You leave here today and you walk off. You want to walk off with a chip on your shoulder. You want to walk off however you need to do it. You walk off here going, I am going to lead my family. I am my kids' first minister. Amen, ladies? Amen. Oh, thank you, sisters. That was good. Watch, watch as this happens here. Verse 14. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and turned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistines drew near morning and evening and presented himself. Let's get this. Look at this. Forty days. Now, come on. When you were in Sunday school, they gave you this story, right? They didn't take all this time. I'm going to take 40 days to do this story. 
Okay, some of you don't know, that's funny. But anyways, when they gave you this story, right, they just said Goliath came out and David happened to be there that day, then David comes out, right? We always view the story of David and Goliath as just one day, maybe two days or next. But what is taking place here? Forty days he is out there doing that. Now, I am not somebody who tries to over-spiritualize the word of God or take numbers and make numbers mean something they're not. Sometimes the word five means five. But as I looked at that word 40, the word 40 has a special significance, and I want to show you in the Word of God. The word 40 symbolizes completion or permanent change or God's judgment. 40 always symbolizes completion, permanent change, or God's judgment. Want to see? Tammy, we're going to do this fast. In Genesis 7, 17, the flood took 40 days. It was God's judgment was complete. In Exodus 16, 35, and the children of Israel did eat manna for 40 days. It was a complete change of leadership. In Exodus 24, 18, and Moses went into the midst of the cloud and sat upon the mountain. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. It was 40 days for God to complete his word to his people. In Acts 1, 3, Jesus has seen how many days after his resurrection? 40 days speaking of the things pertaining of the kingdom. His ministry was complete. In Mark 1.13, and there was in the wilderness 40 days tempted of Jesus. Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days before he was tempted of Satan. And lastly, in Jonah 3.4, God gives Nineveh how many days? Yet 40 days Nineveh shall be overcome. God gives them 40 days to repent or else God will judge. And now I come here to verse 16. And how many days was Goliath taunting them? Coincidence? Now, some would say, well, 40 is just a number of completion, and so the Bible, they round all those things up. Okay, if that's true, that's even more important that they just said 40 days, because he wants us to know God has had enough. And isn't it amazing? Listen, young people, at the end of 40 days, God judges. You may be right now as a teenager, you might be at day 12 thinking, God's cool with my lifestyle. God's cool with how I'm doing it. He hasn't said anything, but you mark it down. Day 40 will come. There will come a time and place in your life when God will say, I have had enough of how you're conducting yourself. And God will judge. This giant has come out and taunted God, taunted God's people, taunted his army. And God has said, enough. You know what I love about this? And I don't think I'm over-spiritualizing this. Jesus will sit on David's throne. Amen? I think there's a great analogy here. God has had enough, and he has sent the man, David, to take care of it. Over 2,000 years ago, God's plan came fulfilled. God had had enough of this thing called sin, and he sent the man, Jesus, who was fully God, God come in the flesh, the second part of the Trinity, who lived 33 sinless years and who died on a cruel Roman cross for your sin and for mine. God has sent a man to take care of the sin, the the Goliath named sin. Have you received him? Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? Because no matter who you are, at the end of everything, there are 40 days is coming. And you will stand before God. Either he will be your Lord and Savior or he will be your judge. The choice, well, the choice you can make today. Amen? I am confident. Because God began Genesis 3.15 and said, I will send the Messiah and he will crush your head. He started the plan there, the death blow. I am confident because of the cross of Jesus Christ. What should I be confident in? I'll give you three quick things as we wrap this up. Be confident in number one. Be confident in heaven. 
If you know Christ as your personal Savior, say amen. You're going to heaven. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. We use this verse often in the time when we've lost somebody. We'll see them again. But I would like to use this today to talk about my eternity. There's two things about eternity I'm 100% confident, and this is it. There you go. Number one, I deserve hell. Romans 3.23 says it very clearly for all of sin and come short. I deserve hell. Uh, I, was, I, I, do not, I did not become a sinner because I sinned. I sinned because I am a sinner. I was conceived in sin, born in sin. I deserve separation from God for eternity in a place Jesus himself called hell. But you know what? I will be in heaven. Not because I'm such a good-looking, intelligent, wonderful human. I am, Bob. But as a young boy, I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. I asked him, Jesus, what you did on the cross, be my payment. Come into my heart. Save me. All right. Feel free to judge me. Feel free to judge. Uh, but sometimes I lie. And usually at funerals. I do funerals for people, and I do them lots of times for people I don't know, and sometimes a funeral home will call me. And what I usually have to do is I lie. Because that's not the time and place to get up and say, this person is a horrible person. We were all better off that they're gone. He cheated on his wife. He did this. He was a horrible dad. And aren't we glad he's gone? Where's the will? You can't say that. So I try to make, I, one time, I kid you not, I was doing this and I didn't met the person and stuff. So I was doing this girl. I was saying all this stuff. The widow, the little lady came up afterwards. She looked in and she said, well, I just wanted to make sure that that was my husband you were talking about. Um... You know what? Live a life that the preacher doesn't have to lie about you. Live a life that when it's your time, we know that you knew where you were going because you knew the Savior. Number two, be confident in your purpose. Your life has a purpose. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, he that which begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, many years ago, it's, it's amazing how little boys think. Many years ago, when Nate was just about five or six, he's 18 now. But when he was about five or six, we were watching, there's this commercial. Some of you might remember it. There's this little boy, and he's chasing a girl with a lizard. It was a commercial for breaks. And he's chasing this little girl, and he run across the street, and he drops his lizard, right? And then he comes back to get the lizard, and this car almost hits him, and they, you know, they put the brakes on, and it almost hits him, and it's like, hey, don't you want to have brakes like this, right? We're watching it, and Nate's like five or six, and he's always been into reptiles and lizards and everything. I don't know what that says about you, Carrie, but he's always been into lizards and stuff. But, no, I'm just kidding. But he's always been into it. He likes lizards and everything like that. And I told him, I said, listen, listen. I don't care what pet it is. I don't care if it's a frog or a lizard. You never run back in front of a car for anything. And Nate looked at me and said, well, what if it's my favorite pet? And I said, we will get you a new one. And then the way his mind thinks, he thinks about it. And time, you know, a minute goes by and he goes, well, what if the lizard has a million dollars in his mouth? Now, what I wanted to say, but I knew I shouldn't because that would confuse him. I wanted to say, let, the, well, let it kill the frog or the lizard. We'll just pull it out of its mouth, right? Or how does a frog get a million dollars, Nate? But that's another question. But I did, you know what, though? How many of us throw away the security, the confidence of God's plan for our life for something as silly as money? You are better off in God's plan than anywhere else in your life. And lastly, number three, be confident in the battle. Psalm 27, flip over there. This, 
this goes literally with this chapter. It is a parallel chapter taking place. The author is David, and he is writing this psalm in Psalm 27. Watch this. This is like, you can tell as David writes this psalm, he is thinking back to this day and this battle in Goliath. Verse 1, the Lord is my light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength. Of whom shall I be afraid? David's source of strength in this battle was who? Work with me. David's source of strength in this battle was who? It was the Lord. It was God. Verse 2, and when the wicked... Even my enemies and foes have come up to me to eat my flesh. Now, maybe that went right over your head. But if you know the story, David's going to come out to Goliath. And Goliath is going to look at him and say, what are you? You're coming against me? I'm going to take your body and I'm going to take your flesh and I'm going to throw your flesh to the birds. I believe, because I think David and I have some similarities here, I think as David is writing this psalm, destroy my flesh, huh? I think he smiles and he thinks back to Goliath making that proclamation. Hey, Goliath, who ate who on that day? Back here in verse 2. And they stumbled and fell. How is that not Goliath? You know the story. Listen, how do you not know this story? You know what's going to happen. Goliath is going to what? He's going to fall. He's going to lose. As he's writing this, he has to be thinking, taunting him, thinking, Yeah, who fell that day, Goliath? Who lost? In verse 3, and though a host encamp against me. That's literally what we just read. That's the Philistines encamped against the armies of Israel. My heart shall not fear, though war should rise up against me. In this, what does he say? I will be what? Confident in the middle of this battle, in the middle of chaos. In the middle of uncertainty, David said, it doesn't matter what's going on. I've got Jesus, and I am confident in the battle. There's this, there's this joke. 9.30 thought it was funny. You probably won't. Oh, it's an old people joke. So anyways, um, uh, the joke is like there's this archaeologist, and he's out there in the desert in Israel and stuff, and he was digging up stuff, and he found this mummy. And then he said, oh, this mummy has to be about 3,000 years old and stuff. In fact, this mummy was there at the battle of David and Goliath. And they take it into this uh, museum and this, arch- this other archaeologist is overlooking it and saying, you know, yeah, you're right. It's about 3,000 years old and stuff. But how do you know this mummy was there at the battle of David and Goliath? And the other archaeologist, oh, it's simple. I found this little piece of paper and it said, betting slip, 10,000 shekels on Goliath. Anyway, I keep going. Who are you betting on? Who are you trusting in? Pastor, I got a good job. I got real ability. My marriage is strong. You're going to be disappointed. I want to close with a personal story. Pastor, why, maybe you're wondering, why is he spending three weeks on nut? We haven't even got to the slingshot. I told you before, the danger of this is we take Goliath and we make him something God never intended. We try to make Goliath our health. That's my Goliath and God has... No, 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 that's not the Goliath God fights. We try to make Goliath and make it our finances. Make it all these certain things. And I said before, there are three fights that God is interested in. People being saved, say amen. Protection of children, say amen. 
and people being warned of the pain of sin. Say amen. Those are God's three fights. No, but God has to keep my grandma alive. It doesn't happen that way. God has to make sure that we have financial security. It doesn't happen. That's not one of his fights. And we try to make it a Goliath and say, let's go, God, let's get him. And these are our weapons. We said this last week. Truth, righteousness, preparation of the gospel, faith, protection of salvation, sword of the Lord, prayer. And why I keep focusing on this is this. You're going to lose your confidence if you keep making Goliath things that God never intended to fight. You're going to say, God, you have to do this. God, this is your fight. And God's like, no, I never said you had to have perfect health and finances and everything would go well. I never said your marriage wouldn't struggle. I just said I'd never leave you nor forsake you. I never said any of these things. And we make God fight these Goliaths that have nothing to do with God and sometimes are contrary to his plan. And I'll tell you why, and here's the story. Those of you that know me know that I talk often and highly of my father. He's a great man of God. He went home to be with the Lord. Uh, uh, Nate's 18, so he went home 17 years ago. And it broke my heart. It stayed something that stayed with me the whole my life. My dad, when he was younger, uh, was a Sunday school teacher. Before he got married, he was a bus worker. He thought about going into the ministry, he told me. And uh, I always say that I'm the youngest of seven. That's not true. I'm the youngest of nine. Um, I'm the youngest of nine. My mom and dad got married. They got pregnant real quick. And they had a six-month miscarriage. Uh, my sister Dawn was born. And then I have another brother. Uh, my brother Dale, and my brother Dale was one day old, and he passed away. And what happened to my dad was uh, deacons, nobody came to visit them, no pastor came, and my dad held on to that little baby uh, in the nursery and kept telling my mom, they said he's not going to make it, he kept telling my mom, uh, God will not do this to us. He made my brother Dale a Goliath God never said he would fight. God never said people you love won't get hurt and leave us. And what happened? God let him down, he thought. So my father started backing away from Jesus. Just became a Sunday morning only Christian. My dad was very skilled. And he was a tool and die journeyman. If you've ever eaten a Ruffles potato chip in the 80s, you know, the Ruffles that have it. My dad designed, installed the machine that put the stamp on the Ruffles potato chip. If you ever ate a cereal box from General Mills, my dad designed, installed the machine that folded them about a million a minute, the cereal boxes of General Mills during the 90s and stuff. Very talented man in everything. In the 70s, he was making way much more money than he should have. And then some of you that were alive then remember 1979. My dad went two years without a job. And everything that he had built himself up and his security of himself came down. It's amazing. I talked to my older sister. She has a different dad than I did to an extent. She knew my dad as the guy who just went on Sunday morning a little bit. I never really knew that man. I only knew Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, visitation. You're going to serve Jesus or you're going to meet him, dad. <laughs> That's the only dad I ever met. But see, what happened to my dad... He put his confidence in a fight God never said he was going to fight. And he should have just put his confidence in the Lord and said, though you slay me, I will follow you. See, some of you right now, your, your confidence in God is shaken. 
And it's not God's fault. It's because you keep making God fight battles he never intended to fight. Some of you are here, you're alive only because God intervened. Isn't that amazing? God does step in. God, some of you can give a story. Pastor, I had this credit card debt, and God just gave us this money, and boom, and it was gone. You know what that is? That's called grace. That's God stepping into a fight he doesn't have to fight and doing things he doesn't have to do. And he steps in and goes, boom, take this, and I'm just going to do this purely out of grace. The problem is you keep thinking that's always going to happen and always going to take place. God's fight are people being saved. Listen, you want to know a fight God wants? God wants your little girl to come to know Jesus. God desperately wants your son to be saved. Amen? God wants your kids to be protected from the pain of the world. He wants you to be a role model, an example. Sir, your little girls are going to marry a guy just like you. That either makes you feel happy or scares you. And he wants people to be warned about the pain of sin. Warned about all the issues and struggles. Young people go out in the world and you won't find anything better. You will find nothing but pain, misery. Everything the world has is death, destruction, and disease. And we make God fight Goliaths that aren't his fight. And what happens? Our confidence goes down. I'm glad to say that my dad got his confidence back in the Lord because he started fighting God's battles and fighting his. So maybe you're here today. Maybe this is your last Sunday. Maybe you're thinking this is meant for Jesus. I kind of doing the whole pre-Thanksgiving and then we're going to bail on God and stuff like this. If your confidence is in me, you're going to be disappointed. Ask my wife. If your confidence is in this church, you're going to be disappointed because we're just a group of sinners just like you. If your confidence is in a denomination, you're going to be disappointed. Can I encourage you today to renew and put your confidence back in Jesus Christ? Fight God's battles. Fight God's battles with God's weapons. Every head, every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around, just you and me for a second. Uh, Savior, that's awesome. But is there a time and place when you've accepted Jesus? I hope that we can walk out of here today and say, I am confident I'm going to heaven. Not because of what I did, but because of Jesus. And can I talk to the dads for a second, the gentlemen? Sir, are you leading your family? You don't have to lead it like I do. I'm a failure at it at times, too. You don't have to lead it like your dad did. You don't have to. You lead it the way God gifted and enabled you to lead it. But are you leading your family today? And is your confidence in God shrunk? Could it possibly be? It's not God. It's that you're making him fight Goliaths that aren't his Goliaths. And maybe sometimes the closer, maybe sometimes the heartache draws us closer to him than victory could ever do. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for my dad. And Lord, thank you for being my Heavenly Father. Today in this room, Lord, somebody's struggling because, well, Lord, we're humans. And so, Lord, if there's a dad or a mom that's struggling, marriage, Lord, let your Holy Spirit right now start talking to them. Encourage them, Lord. There's somebody who thinks they can never be forgiven. Oh, Lord, Father, let your Holy Spirit throw that thought from their mind. And, Lord, if there's a young person who's really wondering, is this Jesus thing real? Father, just pour out your love on them. Bring people into their lives this week, Lord. Show them that they can put their faith and trust in you today. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, amen.